questions in anytime you want. We'll do our best to try to address those uh, as life goes on. So this morning we're going to talk uh, about something typically kind of uh, generally called spiritual formation. Uh, and it's really developing your your spiritual life. You know, at our, our as we go through life, our physical life, we, we develop our physical life. We want to uh, exercise, eat right, sleep, do the right things for your body so you take care of yourself. Uh, you grow appropriately, not inappropriately. Uh, same with our mind. We, we do, we, you know, we work our minds and we want to make sure our minds stay healthy. As you get older, you start doing little games. You do crossword puzzles and stuff because you don't want to lose what you got left, right? So some of us, a couple of you are nodding. Most of you have not figured that out yet. Uh, I do that. I do little mind games, try to, you know, I don't want to lose it all. Uh, so our spirit is the same. We, we want to do things in our life to uh, develop and, and have a healthy spiritual life. So in the past, we have talked about some of the classic spiritual disciplines, about prayer and meditation, scripture reading, and, and several years ago now, I, I don't remember how long ago, but a while back, I taught through Richard Foster's book on celebration of discipline, and we covered each one of those in, in sequence. And uh, the, the, the classic disciplines are very helpful, and they're very much a part of spiritual life. But in this series, I want to kind of broaden the horizons a little bit and, and really look at what it would be like to develop a, a healthy lifestyle, a spiritual lifestyle of health. Um, so we're going to uh, look at today, today and next week, actually two weeks, what I think is one of the uh, very foundational issues to our spiritual life. And we touched on it a little bit last week and we sang about it a little bit this morning, but that is just uh, who we are in Christ, our, our identity in Christ. Uh, so the message this morning, I titled Fully Human, Fully Alive. Uh, now, just in full disclosure, I did not come up with that title. That is actually the name of a, of a very old book uh, by a guy named John Powell. Anybody remember this? Oh, I didn't think so. Yeah, a few of you were alive. This was written back in the 70s, and it was actually a very popular book uh, in the church back in the 70s. A lot of Christians read it. Um, but it's, Powell is a psychologist, and so he, he wrote from a psychological perspective. And as you read the book, it's really, really good information, except that nowhere in the book does he mention God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, Scripture, anything like that, until you get to the end. And then there's a, an appendix in the back. It says, Appendix for Believers. And when you read that, he says, oh, by the way, I'm a Christian, and everything in this book came from the Bible, and if you really want to know how to be fully human and fully alive, you've got to know Jesus. And I'm like, well, so when you just kept your cover all the way through and didn't... So that's an old book. Um, speaking of old books, I, just, I want to share another old book with you today. And this has nothing to do with the message. I just got to share this with you. Uh, th- this is a book by Charles Swindoll. Anybody remember Swindoll? Okay, good, a couple of you. What? The Sermonator. He's, he's still around. Uh, Chuck Swindoll is about 90 now. I think, I'm pretty sure he's retired. When I was growing up in the 70s, Swindoll was a pastor of Evangelical Free Church in Fullerton, California, near where we lived. Had a daily radio show program. That's where most of you probably knew him from. He was also a very popular author. Wrote, I don't know, lots and lots of books. And he wrote a whole series of these little booklets uh, on, on different aspects of Christian life. This one's called Dealing with Defiance, God's Plan for Overcoming Rebellion. And like I said, this has nothing to do with the sermon today. The reason I'm sharing this with you is that this is the third edition of this book. 
And in the first two, they, they reformatted it and changed the cover and things, but they kept the original photograph on the cover. So all the way through every edition, they've kept the original photograph of this fist uh, that I think is the fist of defiance there. And the reason I'm sharing this with you today is that that is my fist on the cover of Chuck Swindoll's book. Uh, I, had, I, I had a brief foray into hand modeling. Uh, <laughs> George, in my youth, uh, that's, that was my only gig, actually. I got one, one shot. Uh, I was a hand model. And I just thought it was pretty cool that as they updated the book, they kept my picture on there. So that's just thought. I thought you guys should know about that. It's pretty good. Um, it's pretty, I, I was, I'll, if you get a copy, I'll autograph it for you. Let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, uh, help us get back on track. Amen. Okay. Um, we are going to uh, start this morning in the book of Colossians. One verse, uh, Colossians 1.15, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Uh, we can't see God. Now, that's, uh, we're speaking physically here, not spiritually. We know spiritually we kind of can see God. We see him in a lot of ways and in different places and people and things. But physically, with our physical eyes, we don't see God, but we can see Jesus. Jesus is the image of God. We've said before, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. He's the fullest, clearest, most perfect representation of who God is. And we have talked about that uh, considerably. Uh, recently here, even just in the last few months in this series, we talked a lot about Jesus being the image of God. Um, there's a second part to that that I want to focus in on today. He's also the firstborn over all creation. Now, if I'm the firstborn in my family, and if you, uh, you know, think in those terms, the firstborn is just that, the first one born. And while Jesus was that, that's not fully what this means. Uh, it also says he's over all creation, and I, I believe we understand that, that Jesus really does have, uh, you know, the kingdom of God as his rule over creation. Uh, but that also is not fully what this verse means. When it says he is the firstborn, it really means that Jesus is the first of a kind. He is the prototype, if you will, uh, of what uh, it means to be fully human. Uh, Romans says the same thing, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So those God knew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus. We, are, we look like him, that he might be the firstborn, the prototype among many brothers and sisters. So Jesus is the first of many, and we are the followers. We are the ones that came after that. He's the prototype. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. And if you want to know what a human being is supposed to look like, you look at Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the perfect representation of what a person looks like when they are uncorrupted, unsullied by the sin and the dirt and the corruption of the world. Uh, no matter how hard we try, and in certain circles, less, less so today, more so in the past, Christians would kind of try to isolate themselves and stay away from things and stay out of the world because they didn't want to get any bad stuff on them. And so, you know, it, it doesn't work. You can try as hard as you want and run into things. You guys got so much stuff up here. I know. Uh, 
No matter how hard you try, you're, you're going to get a little dirt on you. It's just, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it works. Uh, Jesus is what it looks like to not have any dirt on you. Jesus is the guy that is what a human looks like if a human was fully walking in God's perfect will, perfect purpose, perfect presence all the time. Uh, that's what uh, we see when we see Jesus. Not only is he fully God, but he's fully human. Now, this idea of being created in the image of God actually, as you guys know, goes back to Genesis. In Genesis, it says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Uh, There's a lot of theology. A lot of theology in those two little verses right there. Couple points. Uh, first of all, God says, "Let us make mankind in our image." Uh, you notice the plural there? It's it's hard not to because it's it reads weird. Uh, it's just you go well. So did somebody have bad grammar? How, how did that happen? Uh, if if you've studied at all Scripture, you you know that that is actually the only place in all of Scripture where God refers to Himself or God is referred to in the plural. Uh, why is that? Why is that? Is it a mistake? Uh, here's the thing. God is referred to in, in the plural here because God is community. God is plural. Uh, God has a, a, a certain quality of usness about him. And the only time that that is brought forth in Scripture is as God's creating man because God is actually putting that usness that's in him in us. He created us in his image as he is in perfect unity, Father, Son, and Spirit, um, we are created in the image of God with a relational dynamic built into us that's unique and special and different than anything and everything else in all of creation. We, we are created to reflect, to mirror that quality of community that's intrinsic and inherent in God. He, he has a capacity for relationship and a capacity for love and a capacity for community built into him and he's created us in his image with that in us. That's why the plural is there. The second thing that happens in those verses is so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So men and women are equally created in the image of God. Now, I think that's important because the Bible uh, refers to God uh, as male in the masculine. And sometimes in the church that is interpreted as women being created in somewhat less the image of God. They're kind of the image of God, almost, but not quite. But that's not true. God created mankind, all of us, in his image. He created them, male and female. And so we all, men and women, are created equally in the image of God. So the, uh, the book of Genesis was written. Context, we've talked about context before. And, and, and this is just such an important thing in understanding Scripture is, as the original author wrote, what was he trying to communicate to the people he was writing to? What would the first readers of Genesis 
have thought as they read this. It's super, super important. It, it, we, we should understand that Genesis was originally written as a monotheistic tract. Now, what does that mean? You know what a tract is? Anybody remember tracts? People used to hand out those little tickets for Jesus. Um, a tract is a uh, written communication and trying to explain a certain reality. And Genesis was written as a monotheistic tract. It was written to share with it, the readers that there was one God. The Jewish people were unique in ancient Near Eastern culture in that they were monotheistic. They had one God. All of the other people groups, all of the other cultures, all of their neighbors, all the surrounding countries and, and groups of people all worshipped multiple gods. So when they would have taken Genesis and read this, they would have said, whoa, one God? They worship one God. That's very different. One God. And furthermore, the kicker, God created man in his image. God made, man is made in the image of God. Now again, not only did they worship multiple gods, but they also had images of God, right? That is uh, Anu. Anu is the sky god in ancient Sumerian culture. He's kind of human-esque, looks sort of like a person, but he's got those big, creepy eyes. Uh, anybody see that movie, Big Eyes? See that? Oh, it's just, it's a good story, but it's just creepy. Those pictures with big eyes are creepy. Um, so, so, so ancient cultures all had images of God, and, and uh, the differences, of course, are, there are two significant differences between uh, the, the God of Genesis and those gods that they worship. The first one, of course, is that uh, the God of Genesis is alive. He's alive. Their, their God, their images of God were not alive. They were statues. They, they, were, they were stone. They were rock. They were wood. They were gold. They were carved or poured or formed. They weren't alive. Second thing is, uh, of course, they were not alone. There were all kinds of them. There were crazy gods that looked like lizards and cows and birds and all sorts of things. Uh, so there was a God for every occasion. You just pick a God, choose a God, any God. Um, idols, we call these, were physical representations of God. They were not God, but they were the image of God. Now, in some cultures, they believed that God actually inhabited that image, that God was in there. He was in that image. And in, in some of those cultures, actually, what would take place is the artist would fashion this idol and then uh, symbolically, as it was completed, he would breathe life into it. Ever heard that before? We, we have a, uh, a contextual comparison there in Genesis 2. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So you can see that there, there is a context for Genesis. As people read it, they would have thought, okay, these are familiar things. We've heard these things before, but this is very different. This is distinct. This is unique. There's one God, not many gods. God created man in his image, and God breathed life into him. So one more uh, interesting little tidbit that will become uh, important next week. But typically, whatever you did to the image, you did to God. So if you went and bowed before the image, you were bowing to God. 
If you worshipped the image, you were worshipping God. If you, if you ignored the image, then you were ignoring God. If you desecrated the image, if you took spray paint and graffiti, wrote graffiti on the image, then you were desecrating God. Whatever you did to that image, you were doing to God. Again, we'll talk more about that next week, but I want you to today understand that that gives, I think, a whole deeper level of meaning to the understanding Genesis than uh, maybe we have known before. We're God's physical representation here on earth. We, we are God lookalikes. We are created in the image of God, and what you do to the image, you do to God. Does that make any sense? What you do to the image, you do to God. Again, we'll talk about that next week. Now, in Genesis, there are really uh, three ways that we look like God. Three dynamics that that are carried out in which we look like God. The the first one, of course, is that we're alive. We are the image of a living God. We're not the image of a stone God. We're not the image of 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 a statue that's here. We are the image... Of, of a living, breathing, walking, talking, real, live God. Uh, se- the second thing, second way in which we reflect God, we're created in the image of God, is that we rule. And it says here a couple different times, God says, let us make mankind in our, like, in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move on the ground. And then two verses later, he says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I think that's interesting to me. I, I, just that both times he says rule, he always starts with fish. I don't know why, but I think there's probably some fishermen that wish that would work out for them more often. You know, fishy, fishy, rule over you. I don't know. Just sort of thought it was a good idea. Um, let me say this. That in the image of God, we are created to rule. God rules over the cosmos. He's given us, uh, we're like landlords. He's given us the earth to steward and to rule over. And uh, ultimately and ideally, we're to rule as he rules with compassion and kindness and love. It doesn't happen often. Uh, We've kind of, we miss the mark a lot in the way that we rule. God does not exploit creation. God does not exploit his people. And he's asked us to rule his earth without exploiting it. But sometimes uh, we do. We don't rule in the fullness that God has given us to rule in. Um, but this was our first mandate. And, it, and it's an enduring mandate. If you look at Timothy, if we endure, we will also reign with him. In the new heaven and the new earth, at the fullness of time, when Christ returns, we will rule on the earth and we will rule in the way that God created us to rule. The world will be... Uh, as he intended and planned it to be, we will then be fully human and fully alive and rule uh, in a perfect reflection of how God rules. And then the third way that uh, we are uh, like God in his image, uh, we're alive, we rule, and again, we're created for those loving relationships. We have that usness that's in God in us. We have the capacity to fully love as God loves. And again, we don't often do that. Every once in a while it sneaks out, doesn't it? You ever find yourself do something and you go, that was so Christ-like. I really was able to love that person the way I know God would love them. But most of the time we don't, right? Most of the time we fall short. Sometimes, sometimes we're walking into a, a, a store, Whole Foods, somewhere like that. God gives us a perfect word for somebody and we just don't share it. 
we just say, I'm going to chicken out today and not share that word. Um, but sometimes it comes through. Sometimes we really do uh, love in the way that God has given us to love. Um, now, this to me, uh, are you guys with me? Is everybody okay? You guys good? Good, good, okay, good. It's just... Say, I wouldn't pick on you. I think this gives a whole new meaning to the first two of the Ten Commandments. You have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on earth below, not a, not a bird or a fish or a cow. Uh, you shall not bow down to worship to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, am your, am a, uh, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Do you see what God's saying here? Don't make an image of God. Why not? Because I've already done that. I've already made an image of me, and it's you. You're it. You're created in the image of me. Those things don't look like me. You look like me. You look like me. Don't, don't bow to those things. Don't worship them. Don't create something else to be in the image of God. Don't transfer that that I have already done onto some statue, onto some rock, onto some inanimate object. No, it's you. The dignity, the value, the significance, the identity of man is completely locked into being created fully and totally in the image of God. That is who we are. We are God lookalikes. You could just turn to the person next to you right now and say you look just like God. How did that feel? You look just like God. That's who you are. You know, this whole, you ever question the jealousy thing? God is a jealous God. What does that mean? God's not jealous because he's insecure. God's not jealous because he's threatened. You know why God is jealous? He's jealous for you. He's jealous for us. God God is jealous. He says, hey, hey, don't, don't be like your neighbors. Don't create weird images. Look, don't get your identity from that stuff. Get your identity from me. Look, don't get your identity from your house, your car, your job, your rock hard abs. Look, get your identity. I, I, I have a keg. It's not a six pack. It's a keg. Get, get your. You guys are really tough crowd. Uh, get your identity from being created in the image of God. That's what God's jealous for. He's saying, no, look, look, don't transfer that off to something else. It's you. It's in you. I'm jealous for you. You're the image of me. At the fall, we subjected ourselves to demonic oppression. We opened the door. Uh, and really what happened at that point is the image of God became tainted. It became distorted. It's like somebody did take a spray can and graffiti the statue. It's like somebody did throw mud on, on the idol. There, we, we no longer are fully human or fully alive. We no longer fully represent what God looks like. We still kind of do. It's still there. We're still alive. We're still in his image. We still have those loving relationships. We still rule. But we don't do any of those things to the fullness. We're not destroyed, but we're, we're, we're tainted. We're dirtied. Paul talks about it in Corinthians. He says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. 
We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. The image of God isn't fully there. It's not fully real, but it's, it's partially there. You can still see it, but it's not as clear as it could be. We still love, but we don't love the way God's called us to love. We still rule, but we don't rule the way God's called us to rule. All of those things have been diminished by the fall. We're not functioning in the fullness of what God has for us. His will isn't being done on earth as it is in heaven. Because why is that? Why is God's will on earth not being done as it is in heaven? I'll tell you why. Because most of the time we're doing our will, not his will. That's why. Why isn't God's will done more? Because usually we're pretty locked into doing our will. I kind of like things the way I like them. If we were doing God's will all the time, it would be different. All that changes. All all that becomes different when, when Jesus arrives and he reveals what it looks like to be fully human. When Jesus shows up and says, this is what the image of God is supposed to look like. This is what you guys should look like. This is the way it works. This is what it means to be fully human and fully alive. This is what it's like if you really are walking in the presence and the purpose and in the image of God to the fullest degree that you possibly can. This is what it means. Because Jesus does what he sees the Father doing. Jesus loves in fullness. He rules with perfect love and perfect compassion and perfect kindness. He submits to the Father's will. Your will, not mine, be done. Even at the point of death, your will, not mine, be done. He loves the way that God loves. So next week we are going to look at not only how we are able to, uh, Jesus reveals that image to us, but also how he empowers us by his spirit to actually walk and live in that image. All right, let's stand. Where is the deacon? Oh, we do. We have some churches have multiple deacons. We have only one, the deacon. We could have more, but why would we need more? He's so good. I want to um, take a few minutes this morning, and I'm going to pray and ask God's Spirit just to rest on some of you. I think he has something special for you this morning. Oh, you can sneak up there if you want. I don't care. Gosh. I just thought it would be so quiet and peaceful with just him. So let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, really revealing what it means to be made in the image of God, to look like Jesus. Our heart's desire, Lord, is to look like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to rule like Jesus to be fully human and fully alive. So, Lord God, would you uh, just cause that reality to penetrate into our hearts this morning and into our spirits?